Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. It's my great privilege to introduce to you uh, a, a man who served here at West Hill as the associate pastor and youth pastor um, from February 1990 to December uh, 1995. And uh, he's left West Hill in uh, December of 95 uh, to move down to Florida where he could do unlimited golf down there. He no longer had to work uh, around the snow and uh, the sleet and the hail, uh, but Jesus. <laughs> he, uh, he has served now for over 27 years at West Pines. He went from West Hill to the Pines uh, in Lake Worth, Florida as the lead pastor. And uh, Paul called me a few uh, like a month or so ago, and I was giving him a hard time. I said, hey, if I, you can preach for me if you want. And he's like, oh, no. And I said, that's fine. You're on vacation. And then um, he pulled in on Friday when we were unpacking, and, uh, and I don't know if it was Georgia who twisted his arm or what it was, but uh, uh, he said, really, I, I, I'll preach. I didn't realize you were going to be gone all week. And, uh, and I'm not possessive of this pulpit, uh, this table here, um, but I'm like, well, I feel a sense of duty. I'm supposed to preach. And he's like, no, really, I'll do it. And so uh, it really is a privilege to be able to have you, Paul, and, and come share the word with us. And I, I trust you that uh, your stories will be... Uh, I'm not sure that's wise, but okay. <laughs> thanks, man. Hey, man, thanks. Appreciate thanks for being here. Let's welcome Paul. Sorber with us. You guys are, are blessed. Um, I get to, to travel around and do some consulting and, and ministry uh, rehabs, and um, you're blessed with Pastor Aaron and Elisa, and uh, just their love for God, their love for people, and uh, Pastor David as well. Uh, I hope you know how blessed you are um, to have people that are faithful to to shepherding and uh, the proclamation of the word of God. Um, appreciate the opportunity. Honestly, I was not wanting to preach. I did throw a file in the, we have an RV, we travel around in an RV on vacation. And so I threw a file in just in case, you know, always be prepared. And when I saw Aaron get, get here and unpack wet tents in he had been in the woods for a week, and I know what it's like to have to preach after being away and um, trying to put out all the fires that you're putting out while you're away. And um, so I graciously said, I'll try to keep the people awake as best I can. And by the way, uh, Zach, I'm looking at you. We kept you up last night, but I want you to stay awake as best you can today. Um, we had a great time here at, at West Hill, and I hope I don't get West Hill and West Pines mixed up here. Um, but as Brendan and I uh, reminisce and we think back of the, the ministry that we had here, um, we had a great time with the young people. They didn't, honestly, and this is not a joke, they didn't let me hang out with adults too much. Um, we, we pretty much say, you do youth and we'll take care of the adults, Pastor Moosey. Um, was the senior pastor, great man of God. We actually spent 
several days with him on the way up from Florida. Uh, there in Greer, South Carolina, still have a great friendship. But he kind of, he did the adult thing and uh, turned me loose to do the young people thing. And I wrote some things down here. Um, Team Jam started in the closet over here that was my office that is no longer. Um, the Messy Olympics. Pastor Aaron would come as a, as a teen, right? And uh, chase muddy pigs around. And the first year we did it, we had young and dumb, I guess. We, we kept the gym open after we were out in the fields playing in mud piles. Um, the trustees were not happy with me. Um, ski retreats, potato launchers. We used to, 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 we used to reach the neighbors um, way down there. Um, camps and the young couples. I see the McNulty's coming in and the Gibbs. Um, we, we were, there was a, a number of young couples here. The Nyes were part of that. And uh, just really enjoyed a young home builder Sunday school class and time um, with younger couples while we were here. And we, we were blessed to be part of this ministry. Thanks to Mark and Patty for allowing us to pull our RV into their driveway. Um, it's like Uncle Eddie showing up and uh, appreciate Clark Griswold. And uh, I think the electric will go for a month or two, Mark. I think we're going to be okay. No, we'll be heading out. We'll be heading out this afternoon. Brenda and I have been in, in Florida for nearly 28 years and uh, pastor a church that uh, is multicultural. Um, there are really four churches within our church now. Over the years, we continue to plant churches. And uh, so today there will be um, a Spanish ministry, a church, a Creole, Haitian church, an Arabic church and uh, English-speaking church services going on. In a typical Sunday, there's five services and a lot going on. We have a staff of 10, and um, it's just the world has come to us in South Florida. And uh, so we are blessed to be part of that ministry and um, continue to grow and uh, develop other ministries through that. Today, we wanna, I want to share with you some things that are on my heart. Um, I preached through 1 Timothy, then 2 Timothy um, back home. And 2 Timothy is one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's written to a pastor. Uh, it's written to a, a guy by the name of Timothy who pastored a church of Ephesus that was not an easy place to pastor. Um, I think it would be very similar to today, pastoring a church with with philosophies running rampant and in worldviews that are every year there's a new worldview and a new philosophy. And, and in the midst of all that, Timothy was called by God to pastor the church of Ephesus. And I think at times, Timothy, like all of us, whether you're a pastor or not a pastor, you you have great times of spiritual fruit and great times of uh, you are on fire spiritually. I don't know if you've ever been to camp, whether as a kid or as an adult, you go to a conference, you go to a camp, and, and you're there, and you, you, you are recharged. You are on fire spiritually, and you come back, and you want to make a difference in your workplace. You want to make a difference in your school. You want to make a difference in your home. And, and I think Timothy was kind of like that. As he goes into Ephesus, he was fired up. 
He was on fire spiritually. But like so often happens in churches after a while, even the pastor began to grow a little cold and a little distant spiritually. And as I come to the text, and I encourage you, if you have your Bible or your cellular device, go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And really we're going to look at verses 3 through 7. I think maybe 1 through 7 may be on the screen. But 3 through 7 is going to be our focal point. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 3 through 7. Paul, who loved Timothy was his father in the faith, writes this to a guy who was growing a little cold spiritually. Follow as I read, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. I thank God, Paul says, whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I, and if you can highlight, circle, underline, remember. Circle, highlight, remember. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I, here it is again, remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am, here it is, reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure, I am confident it dwells in you, Timothy, as well. And for this reason, I, here it is one more time, remind you to fan the flame, the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. That would be what we would do for ordination, affirmation of his calling. Verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. The Apostle Paul, for some reason, felt it necessary to encourage Timothy to remember. To, to remember some things that Paul was remembering. And now he's saying, I remind you, Timothy, I want you to remember these things too. Because Paul, although was at a distance, had heard that Timothy was struggling some. But the question I want to work through this morning is why? Why, why did he have to remember? Why? Why was Paul four times in these verses talking about remembering and being reminded of why was that necessary? Here's why it's necessary, because all of us at times have a good forgetter. True? All of us at times forget the days where we sense God's presence. All of us at times forget those times where God showed up when we were in our greatest time of need. I think all of us at times, if, if you've ever parented teenagers, you've probably felt like, God help me. And yet, where was he? And I think what Paul was saying to Timothy is, Timothy, you need to go back in your mind and retrace the steps of God's faithfulness to you than bringing you to this point. Even though things are difficult, even though things are challenging, even though things may not turn out the way you want them to turn out, God is still present. I want to read a few passages of Scripture for you. If you want to turn to them, that's great. If not, I'm going to highlight them. But the first one is Joshua chapter 4. And there's, there's a thread that runs through these 
passages of scripture. Here's the first one, Joshua chapter four, four through seven. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. They had crossed over the river. They're now in the promised land. And Joshua says to them, pass on before the ark of the Lord into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. And this will be a sign among you when the children ask in the time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off. Remember the story? They were cut off before them. And the Ark of the Covenant, and it passed over the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so that these stones shall be to all the people of Israel a memorial forever. They were to make a monument to remind them that they were where they were because of God. And that God had cut off the waters. Psalm 77, 8 through 12. It's a rhetorical question, a number of rhetorical questions the psalmist asks. Has God's steadfast love forever ceased? Psalm 77, verse 8. Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder on all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. I think sometimes we're, we're the first two verses. Has God's steadfast love stopped? Are his promises ended? Has he forgotten me? One more passage. See if you see the thread, the theme. Pastor Aaron referred to this in our communion time this morning. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in, what's the word? Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup after supper, and he said, the cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance. It seems like Timothy was not the only one that struggled with a good forgetter. It seems as though when we read through Scripture, we come time and time again to people who have forgotten that God's presence and God's power and God's provision was right there before them, but their eyes are removed from God and they instead choose to focus on their problems. They choose to focus on the circumstances that they're in. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Elijah. And if you have time sometime, check it out. It's an amazing story. It's, it's detailed in, in two chapters, really, 1 Kings 18 and 1 Kings 19. And it's a story where Elijah is, is doing battle with the gods of Baal. Actually, there are 450 gods, false gods. And it was this idea of whose God is stronger, whose God is bigger, who, who, who's, got the, who's got the real God. And Elijah, this great prophet of God, is dealing with these 450 prophets of Baal. And, and the story goes something like this. Um, the Israelites and Elijah 
had a bull, and the 400 prophets of Baal had a bull. And they said, okay, now let's slice this thing up. Let's cut the bull up. And let's put it on an altar. So they did it. And then they said, okay, let's see if, if this God can light it on fire. And while they're waiting, and I love the sarcasm in the text. Because the prophets of Baal do this in the sliced up pieces of meat around the altar. And, and the prophets of Baal never show up. It's not on fire. It's supposed to be, your God is supposed to light it up. It's not on fire. And so Elijah and his sarcasm, which by the way, sarcasm is part of the English language and needs to be used at least sometimes. He says, well, maybe your gods have gone on a journey. Maybe your gods, and it says, it says this in the ESV. I'm not making this up. Maybe your gods have gone to relieve themselves. That's what it says. Maybe they're sleeping, maybe they're taking a nap. The point is that the gods of Baal did nothing. So Elijah says, okay, here's our bull. Put it on the altar. And they say, you know, let's make it more difficult for God. And they begin to pour water and more water and more water and more water. And they are just drenching this thing on the altar. And then he calls out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God brings down fire, and it says that it licks up the water. God showed up. Now, now, in a big way, he showed up. And so Elijah goes back with some sarcasm and some cutting comments to the gods of Baal. Now, if you're Elijah and you had a day like that where God's presence, I mean, we're talking an amazing display of God's presence. You would think that you are all in because your God is a great God. Your God is a powerful God. Your God is a present God in your time of need. You call out to him. He shows up, licks up the water, starts the fire. All good, right? You would think that Elijah was all in. Chapter 19. Elijah goes into a cave and he goes into a depression. And he's affected by a false prophet by the name of Jezebel. And he won't even eat. It's shocking to me because we can judge him and go, what an idiot. I mean, come on, don't you remember? God, what God... But in similar ways, we're like that. When God shows up, man, God is good. And then all of a sudden, something happens in our lives and we wonder, where is God? And I think at times like that, we need to be reminded, like Paul is reminding Timothy, that even when the journey is long, even when we even may be alone, God is still there. And so we go back to this passage in first or second Timothy chapter one. And in the time that we have, I just want to share with you what I think I hope will help you. 
Um, it certainly has helped me in understanding what happens in difficult times, what happens when we aren't as spiritually on fire like we need to be. Now, in the context, let me give you some, some quick context comments here. Timothy is this young pastor. We know that he was young because Paul says, don't let anybody despise your youth. So he had that going against them. Not that pastors ever face that because that's just, that doesn't happen. That was sarcasm, by the way. Another thing that Timothy, Timothy struggled with, apparently he had, some, he had some stomach issues. Because Paul says, well, maybe sometimes you need to take a little wine for your stomach's sake. One of the most out-of-context verses ever quoted in the Bible. Um, but Timothy had some anxiety issues. He had some stomach issues. And so Paul addresses that. On top of that, I believe that in that context, Timothy was pastoring in one of the most difficult places in the known world at that time. Ephesus was a difficult place. Ephesus was this, this place where there were temples of pagan worship. And in the shadows of that was the church where Timothy pastored. Ephesus is the church in Revelation 2 where it talks about, I have all these really good things about you, but then John says, but I have this against you. You have lost your first love. They had forgotten about their love for Christ and his gospel. It was a tough place. And I think in the midst of that difficulty, Timothy was struggling to be strong. To stay hot spiritually, to be on fire spiritually, he, he needed to be reminded of that. If we were to go to Acts 16, we would see where Timothy comes to faith in Christ through the influence of his mother and his grandmother. The apostle Paul shows up and he's doing some recruiting for a missionary journey and he meets this young boy by the name of Timothy and, and he says, Timothy, do you want to follow me on this missionary journey? And Timothy goes, man, I am on fire. I want to serve God with my life. Let's go. And Paul says, okay, we have a problem. Your dad's a Greek. And I'm going to the Jews. And in order for you to be effective in ministry, you need to be circumcised. About 15 years old. Now, I don't want to be disgusting or get you off track here. But could you imagine being 15 year old and being so committed to following Jesus that you would sign up to be circumcised? Just so you could tell somebody about Jesus? I think I'd find another occupation. I'm just, but not Timothy. He says, okay, I'll do it. Timothy goes on the missionary journey, and if you look at Acts chapter 16, I think it's about verse 3 or 4, it says that their ministry was so effective that, that people were being saved and added to the church. And it was because this young man was so committed he was so on fire. But something happened. And so Paul writes, and he gives, I believe, three things in the text, 2 Timothy chapter 1, that we can learn from Paul's words to Timothy 
which I believe are God's words to us about when, when we kind of begin to have our spiritual light go out. First thing. I believe the first thing to do when we begin to recognize that we are not where we need to be spiritually is we need to remember our spiritual journey. We need to remember. We read it. If you look again at 2 Timothy 1, 5, and 6, Paul is telling Timothy to remember these things. I'm reminding you of these things. And in verse 6 it says, For this reason I remind you, fan the flame. In other words, your fire is going out. Fan into flame the gift of God. The gift is in the Greek, it's charis, it's, it's grace. Timothy needed to be reminded of the grace of God in his life and fan it into flame. If you've ever had charcoal and you, 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 you light the charcoal and you even throw some, some, I use gas, but some lighter fluid, which would probably be better. And all of a sudden it lights, but after a while, if you don't have a good ventilation in that grill, it's, so you got to fan it. And after a while, it gets white hot. And I think Paul was saying, Timothy, you need to remember God's grace in your life because, because you're, you're kind of cooling off. Fan the flame. I think part of the fanning of the flame was to remember his salvation. To remember that God has brought you through the influence of a mother and a grandmother in their sincere faith. To the point where now, verse 5, I'm reminded that you too have a sincere faith. Sometimes we need to be reminded of our spiritual journey that God has taken something that was broken, something that was lost, something that was blind. And by his spirit, breathe life into us. And all of a sudden, through salvation, we're born again. We're alive. Not only today, but scripture talks about a living hope. It's today and well as in eternity. I think sometimes we, we, need, we need to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded that salvation is a gift of God. That's where the grace fan this flame, this, this grace of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. For by grace we have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. It is the grace of of God that draws us. It's the spirit of God that breathes life into us and brings us into a relationship with God. Friends, we need to remember that journey. Can I get a little personal with you? When's the last time you told somebody about your journey? When's the last time you took time to share your testimony of your faith journey with somebody else? Oh, they don't want to hear. Oh, really? Check out Acts 26 sometime where Paul is standing before King Agrippa. And of all the things that Paul could have said to King Agrippa, of all the things that he could have talked about, he has a, a, a presence. He's right in front of the king who could have killed him, by the way. You know what Paul does? He shares his testimony. And there's three stages of that testimony you would read. He talks about his life before Christ, how he was a persecutor of Christians. Talks about the Damascus Road experience, his faith journey when he got saved. 
Then he talks about how he wants to commit the rest of his life to telling people about Jesus. It's amazing that of all the things that Paul could have said, he, he, he rehearses his spiritual journey. And we hear the famous words of King Agrippa, Paul, you almost persuaded me. Do you remember your spiritual journey? I think in times of difficulty, I think when our fire begins to go out, I think it's good to remember God's grace and fan that flame. God's grace is getting what I don't deserve. God's mercy is not getting what I do deserve. And on our faith journey, our spiritual journey, we encounter both grace and mercy. Here's what else we encounter. We encounter things like, like total depravity on our faith journey. Y'all know you're a dirty, rotten sinner? I know I'm a guest speaker. I shouldn't offend you. But you're a dirty, rotten sinner. And, uh, and, and, and it started from birth. Um, we have four kids, and it did not take us long to understand the sin nature of our kids. And now we have almost a 35-year-old son, and it's easy to see the sin nature in our kids. Even though he's a, on staff with me, I can't really say that that much. But there's so much in our spiritual journey that, man, when you think about it, I was lost. I'm a recipient of grace. I'm a recipient of mercy. One of my favorite doctrines, and I don't want to go too, too crazy here, but there's this doctrine called the doctrine of imputation. And what that means is that when Christ was on the cross, my sin was on him. And when Christ was on the cross, his righteousness was transferred to me. Oh! That's part of my spiritual journey. If you're a child of God, that's part of your spiritual journey. Your sin was on the cross. His righteousness is on you. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good exchange. Oh, we need to remember that, friends. We need to remember where we were. I say this a lot back home because it, sometimes it bothers me that we in the church, we, we dress up pretty nice and we clean up pretty nice and we look pretty good on Sunday. And if we do that for enough years, we're going to forget how dirty, rotten our souls were before we came to Christ. We're going to forget that one day we were separated from God because of our sin. But God's grace reached out to me. We need to remember that, friends. I'll never forget, years ago, we went on a mission trip up to Toronto, Canada. And uh, it was part of a, a, a national group that we were with. And uh, they divided the group up. And one of the groups went um, at like 2 o'clock in the morning, downtown Toronto, to a, a, a part of the city where there were vampires. I mean, like legit blood-drinking vampires. And we took meals down to them, and we took some tracks about the, the goodness of God, and, and we had interaction with them. But the guy that was leading the group, he, he, could, he could tell by our body language that we were like. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, we need to remember that our soul was in the same place that their soul is before we came to Jesus. 
And it's so true. We can dress up and we can clean up and we can, but friends, let's not forget where we came from. And that's the pit, but God's grace rescued us. And what Paul is saying to Timothy, man, fan that flame. Get that hot again. There's a second thing quickly that we need to remember, and I think we see it in this text. We need to remember our calling. We need to remember our calling. It says in verse 9 of the text, go down a little bit further in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and look at verse 9. He says, who saved us, and here's what it says, called us to a holy calling because, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose, and here it is again, his grace. We have been called by God. We've been called to God to salvation. I didn't do anything to deserve it. God called me. I believe that God in, in the past looked down and he, he saw me and, he, and he, he opened my eyes. And I believe even from my mother's womb, he had a plan for me to come to faith in Christ. Now, do I understand it? No. But do I believe it? Yes. And I believe that God called me into salvation. He called me into a relationship with him. And he opened up my eyes. And I, and I accepted the free gift of salvation. That's part of my calling. But it goes on and it says the calling is to be holy. That's, that's sanctification. That's not preached at a lot of pulpits today. The doctrine of holiness, righteousness, sanctification is being set apart from sin. We're called. Here's what it says. Paul is telling Timothy, I remind you that you have been called, yes, to salvation, but you've also been called to be holy. And then he says a little bit later in verse 11, he says, you've also been called to serve. Paul says, I am appointed. That's a, that's a call. God has appointed him a preacher, an apostle, a teacher. God appointed him him. Sometimes in ministry, and I think sometimes in, in life in general, we can be discouraged and we lose sight of our calling. We can lose sight of how God wants to use us. And I believe one of the greatest fulfilling things that I do is minister to people personally, one-on-one. -on -one. Years ago, an old veteran of the faith told me when he probably sensed that I was a little discouraged, he he says, the best thing to do is when you're feeling discouraged, just go visit somebody and encourage them. And I'm like, yeah, but I want them to come to me. <laughs> he says, no, 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 no. You go visit somebody. You go encourage somebody. And then you're going to see, wow, God used me to encourage somebody's soul today. He was right. And so if Pastor Aaron shows up at your house, you know that he's probably discouraged. <laughs> but I think it's true when we understand our calling, we recognize that, man, God wants to use us. It took me a while to understand my calling. I went to Bible college. I went to college to be a, a coach and a teacher. And chapel speaker, and I probably went through hundreds of chapels and don't remember any of them except this one. A guy by the name of Bill Commons, he was a missionary with ABWE. He must have said it a thousand times in his message, where are the men? Where are the men? Where are the men? 
Where are the men? Where are the men? And his point was that why are all the, the leaders, the male leaders today going into business? Why are the male leaders today going into education? Why are the male leaders today going into... But the local church is no longer getting the best of the best. I'm like, whoa. And I thought back, I'm like, you know, I was in a Bible college and most of the people that I hung on out with were not going to the local church. And that's where God called me. And I remember calling my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and I said, hey, what do you think about being a, being a pastor's wife? And there was a long silence. Because our pastor's wives growing up were always these, like Lisa, these great communicators and these vibrant personalities and could stand up and speak to thousands. And, and, and Brenda's just not that. She's not that. An amazing leader, but behind the scenes. A godly pastor's wife. She wasn't like the other pastor's wives. And so we had to work through our calling. And maybe you today need to work through your calling, but I want you to know God has called you. God has called you to do something. God has called you to, to impact the kingdom of God. God has called you. And, and I think when we understand our calling, our spiritual fulfillment goes up and we like feel like, wow, God is using me. Man, how can I forget that? We need to be reminded of that. Be reminded of God's calling. There's one more, and I end with this. When we're feeling like we're not on fire spiritually, when we're losing our edge a little bit and we need to fan the flame, remember your spiritual journey. Remember God's calling in your life. And there's one more. And we see it later in the text, in verse 15 and 16. Remember the good guys. I think sometimes when we are cooling off spiritually, and, and please listen to this. Misery loves company. Birds of a feather flock together. And so what often happens is when we begin to, to veer off course spiritually, it's amazing how easy it is to find other people and have these pity parties and have the woe is me, which turns in, by the way, to a critical spirit, which ends up in isolation. And all of a sudden, I don't remember my journey. I'm not fulfilling my calling. But there are some people in our lives, and here's what it says. Look at it in the text, on your, in your Bibles, on your cellular device. You may be aware, this is verse 15, 2 Timothy 1, that all who are in Asia have turned away from me. This is Paul saying, I've had a lot of people that have shafted me, among whom are Philegius and Hermogenes. But then he says this in verse 16, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Man, we need some Onesiphoruses in our lives. 
We need to be encouraged in our spiritual journey. Paul is saying, hey, I had this guy that when I was in chains, he encouraged me. These other two knuckleheads, in another passage, earlier in, in, in 2 Timothy, he talks about Alexander the coppersmith that was an idiot too. Paul names names. I love that. But then here he says, but there was this guy when I was discouraged and when I felt like, man, everything's going against me. I don't feel well. People are telling me I'm too young. We have this temple. that there, there's, there's idol worship. And Paul said, hey, man, I know for me that there was this guy. And he was a good guy. And he encouraged me. He refreshed my soul. Now, I don't know if you have one of those in your life. And maybe even more importantly, are you that in somebody else's life? Because I met enough to Paul to write about it. And I think we, we need to realize in our spiritual journey, we're not always going to be on the mountaintop. We're not. It would be great if we were. Y'all realize that the epistles that are written, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, are written to churches that all struggled. <laughs> Y'all know that, right? I was preaching through, I know I'm late. I was preaching through a couple years ago, and, and, and some people are going, why are you so negative? And I said, because the church is a bunch of idiots. Not our church, but the church is in the Bible. But it was true. And so, so we need to realize that it's not always at the top. Where's the grass the greenest, at the top of the mountain or in the valley? Where's the grass the greenest? It's in the valley. And sometimes we go through the valley, and sometimes it's difficult times. But when we have people like Onessa Forrest alongside, those are the times that we grow the most. And I think Paul's intention, and this is the intention of the text, I believe, we all at times need to fan the flame. We all at times need to be encouraged spiritually. And I hope that if that's you today, that you will follow the instruction of the Apostle Paul through the inspired word of God. Reflect on your journey. Reflect on your calling. And rejoice in the good guys that God has put in your life. you pray with me? Father God, I am so grateful that you have told us in scripture in great detail how to deal with times of, of running kind of cold, how to deal with times of maybe spiritual apathy or discouragement or times of just not, not being on top of our game. You have instructed us how do we get back to, to fanning the flame of our spiritual journey. So God, I pray that we will follow your instruction fight the battle, run the race, and finish well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Paul, for bringing the word this morning, challenging us, encouraging us. Would you stand with me? And we'll be dismissed in just a moment. I want to pray. Um, passage of scripture over us, just thinking about what Paul has shared with us this morning, uh, reminded me of a part of what Jude writes 
And he says this, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who are causing divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most high faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And then he writes this, and this is my prayer for us. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. God's blessing upon you. Have a great week.